The Apartment Rebellion will not be televised. Resident experience will be more than a buzzword. Staff experience will finally matter. It's happening right now. It's in the hands of the doers, the innovators, the boundary pushers, who are moving the industry forward, just like the people on this show. This is the Apartment Rebels podcast, hosted by Flamingo CEO Jude Chi. Welcome, friends of the rebellion, and may the force be with you. Um, so welcome to the latest interview with Flamingo's apartmentalized video publisher series. So for this one, we have Kristen Magny, who I'm really excited to uh, interview to talk about employee engagement, resident experience, uh, diversity and inclusion, and a few other things. Uh, so Kristen is currently the managing director at Higher Up, which is a human innovation, uh, human capital innovation company. We'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So I'm not going to butcher exactly what you do, <laughs> so I'll kind of let you uh, give your intro, what you do, what you focus on, sure. and then what uh, higher up like you Sure, sure. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here, happy to speak with you and talk about this topic. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, I started the consulting practice for higher up in uh, May of 2020. We're a boutique consulting firm based oh, wow. in Washington, D.C. <laughs> the pandemic, right? So it's been interesting because there's been so many things happening that affect people during this time. So some people say I'm crazy for starting a business in the middle of of transformational change in our world. So was it actually in the middle of the pandemic or was it like pre-pandemic? It was uh, right at the beginning of the the pandemic. And... Was it something you had already started thinking about or was it inspired no, it was something that I'd always wanted to do, and events made that a possibility at that time, and I decided to leave corporate America and start this practice, and originally, it was going to be centered around what we say human capital innovation, so creating environments in which people can thrive in their workplaces, and in my previous role, I had also led diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I knew that was going to be part of what I wanted to do. What I didn't know is that George Floyd was going to happen and that things would pivot and companies would be laser focused on things like diversity and inclusion. So some of the work I do is more in the people strategy space, traditional people strategy work. I do a lot of work around employee engagement and that also feeds into the diversity, equity, and inclusion work because part of the discovery process in working with an organization to understand how people are experiencing the organization is to collect feedback. And so it's imperative that every voice is heard around a variety of topics that affect their ability to have upward mobility and to perform at their best. So how did your uh, career progression kind of lead you to this? I know you were previously at Pazudo and then at Grace Hill. So what has your career progression looked like and how did it lead to uh, higher up? Mm -hmm. So I started out in hospitality operations. I was a communications major in college. I actually wanted to be an an anchor woman on television. So this is a little serendipitous right now. I know, right? (laughs) Now you get practice it. Right, right. Exactly. 
we'll see how this all works out. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll be discovered after this. So, um, but there were no jobs for me to do that as a woman when I graduated college. And I took a different path and I got into hospitality operations and spent some time there. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I've always been in real estate. I was actually building food courts in convenience stores and I was setting up operations in airports Mm -hmm. for food service from the ground up. Um, And I did that in Atlanta. I did that in Chicago, uh, where I lived prior to being in the D.C. area. And then I just made a complete career change and somehow wound up getting into staffing, which led me into talent acquisition and then led me into the corporate HR space. So um, I was at CoStar for about six years and I led their talent acquisition function before I moved on to Pizzuto. And when I started at Pizzuto, the company had less than a thousand employees. And when I left, they had over 2,500. And so, you know, again, creating an environment that enabled that organization to grow exponentially over, you know, an eight or nine year period cannot be done by doing things the same way that everybody's always done them. So I think part of that success has a lot to do with the fact that we were always tearing things down and building them back up. We were always early adopters. Uh, If anybody had a new product that helped to streamline the experience, we were always willing to test it. And so we built... What did some of those things look like at Pazuto? Well, on the employee, on the talent acquisition or employer branding side of things, we were very early adopters of social media, using social media, using the voice of employees to help attract talent and creating ambassadors within the organization to attract Mm -hmm. talent. So there were referral programs, but referral programs sometimes put you in a situation where you're fishing in the same sea. Right, exactly. And so we figured for every employee who is online and has a social presence, which most people who are millennials do and professionals do, then they have X number of professional contacts that are going to trust their opinion about what where is a great place to work. So early on, we started building our employer brand online. We we quickly pivoted to, to video when when some of the traditional posts were being done by everybody else. It's interesting to got that was how long ago was that? So I started at Bazudo in 2011 and left in 2000 in 2020. Okay. And so I want to say we started doing that. Geez, it's hard to track the time, but probably five, six years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so the reason why that's so interesting is because like right now, well, at least from 2019 to now, it's been when everyone has been talking about video. Like video is the next big thing yeah. on social media. It's what stops the scroll that everyone like does. Right. So really cool that six years before Zudo was already doing it, five years before you guys had already picked it. Yeah. And I also love that element of really utilizing employees and their voices mm-hmm. to uh, 
kind of expand the message about company and the brand, which is what a lot of companies are now starting to do. A lot of tech companies, especially, are figuring out like, hey, we have all these employees. Why not use them to really um, be a loudspeaker about our brand? Right. To build that. It's free advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so especially you know, they love working in my time at Bazudo, I cut our advertising budget for recruitment marketing and employer branding by 60% over the course of the years because we we simply didn't need to buy job slots or, or, you know, buy a presence because we had already over time built that presence. And, you know, it's funny when I remember looking back at some of the first videos that we ever shot. We did an intern video. Uh, we did an employee video yeah. where I did the voiceover, yeah. um, and, and the script for that was actually so you created. Really meant to be on I know <laughs> the script for that was created in a ride along that I did early on yeah. with Tom Bazuto yeah. and just us talking, and then I wrote the script for the employee video that we did. But those videos were like six, eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. You know, so you talk about change. You nobody watches a six or eight minute yeah. video anymore. Yeah. So over the years we went from Hopefully doing people watch this one <laughs> well yeah I, I still think they're good videos um, but you know you look at where we where we ended up in some of the videos we used maybe in the last one to two years mm-hmm. we went from doing 60 six minute videos to 45 second videos yeah. and allowing an employee to tell their story and just just mm-hmm. you know using sound bites yeah. and those were just as effective yeah. and you know, so we did a lot of that. We were early testers of, of, of machine learning and AI in the sourcing process. Um, we were very early in the, in the grand scheme of what happens in property management to be thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And again, how do you engage a diverse ecosystem of people to talk about the brand? to talk about feeling a sense of belonging and and to talk about success that they've experienced. So, So let's take a step back. So, when you speak on uh, diversity and inclusion, can you explain for those that just don't know what that means? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it's complicated. And I don't know where along the line somebody decided to combine all those words Mm -hmm. because they mean different things. They mean very different things. So... The way I like to look at it, because I think this is easy for somebody who's just thinking about what does all this mean, yeah. is is diversity is is the what? It's a, it's multiple identities in the workplace. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you ask somebody what does diversity mean, they are going to tell you uh, about the way somebody looks. When you ask somebody what they think of when they think of diversity, they're gonna they're gonna talk about the way someone looks. But there's many dimensions of diversity, some of which are fixed. So they're parts of our identity that make up our personality or our belief systems or value systems, some of which are fixed, like race or age, some of which evolve over time, like our, um, our religious beliefs or our professional experience or our body language, you know. So 
it's much bigger than just the way people look. And what you really want in the workplace is diversity of thought. And that can't really be achieved with homogeneity. So having extreme diversity being multiple identities represented in the workplace is the what's. But that doesn't really matter without equity and inclusion. And that is your ecosystem. So if you think of of nature, because we're a product of nature, we think we're better than all of that, but we're really a product of nature. If you think about a rainforest and how delicate of a balance a rainforest needs in order for all the creatures in the the rainforest to survive, and not just to survive, but to thrive and to reproduce, Conceptually, it's the same thing when you think about people ecosystems. So inclusion is all voices are heard. People feel a sense of belonging. Um, it's It's an environment that is going to be welcoming and accepting and embracing and encouraging all of those multiple identities. Equity is about infrastructure and systems, people having access, the ability to participate, um, a level playing field in order to thrive in the organization. So a lot of the work I do is helping organizations, working with organizations on that ecosystem. Then we can think about how do we how do we make the workforce as diverse as we possibly can. But you have to have an inclusive culture, and you have to have systems, processes, practices, and policies that are unbiased. And in order to have, in order to remove bias from systems and programs that have been created by a dominant group. You have to redress, you have to reckon with your own personal bias. So there's a there's an individual and interpersonal there's individual and interpersonal work that has to happen before that can be tackled from a systemic standpoint. So you've made a lot of really interesting points. Like one being um, the differences between just like diversity and the one on like actual inclusion. I read a while ago a quote that said uh, diversity is oh, diversity is like being invited to the party and then inclusion is being asked to be on the dance floor. Yeah. So from a very like practical perspective, can you give examples of how a company can actually go about um, implementing inclusion? So what kind of policies need to be implemented? Like how do processes need to be updated? What types of training needs to be done across the board? So it's interesting when you say what sort of policy should be implemented, you know, what sort of training should be done. That's very tactical. It's a good place to start. But a policy is often winds it often winds up being punitive. And so, you know, like take fair housing as an example. Fair housing is a law. Okay. Fair housing is in place that law to prevent discrimination. But discrimination is a lagging indicator. Okay. And just because you have a law in place, A, doesn't mean people are going to follow it. And B, it doesn't change the way people think. Yeah. 
So you actually have to change the way people think. Um, now, you know, I can't change the way you think necessarily. I People don't change unless their desire to change is greater than their desire to stay the same. But what I can do is I can demonstrate through my own behavior the way that I want other people to receive me and what I'm willing to accept in terms of the relationship that I'm going to have with another person. Um, so we have to be careful with policies because we want the work to be what we call restorative, not retributive, which means it's punitive. Uh, now you can look at policies to for you can look at policies for bias. You can look at policies for racism. But racism is very overt, and so there's not, you're going to, if racism is there, you're, you're, it's going to be obvious. Yeah, you know? see what happens Yeah, I mean, when we look back in history, and you look at some of the things that have happened in our history, it's obvious, yeah. right? There's a, a fountain for white people, there's a fountain for, for black people. That's racism, yeah. you can see it. Um, programs that have been developed over time. Time, like the original public housing programs. It was a great program that came out of the Great Depression. It was part of the New Deal. But housing for white people was separate from housing for black. That's racism. We can see that. Bias is biological. People create systems, people create technology, people create programs, and depending on who the people are that are making those decisions, that's how you wind up with bias in your technology, bias in your programs, bias in your practices. So, you know, when it comes to creating an inclusive culture, you have to start by bringing people together in a safe space where they can build healthy, inclusive relationships, where they can have... When, when we're teaching, so we do quite a bit of educational programming in this space. And the framework we use is going to sound simple. It's mirrors, windows, and doors. What is that exactly? So mirrors, just like it sounds, is seeing reflections of myself in my environment that are affirming and help me feel valued. So I want to see people that look like me advancing in the company. I want to see people that look like me invited to the meeting, yeah. right? I want to see people that look like me being asked for their opinion. Those are mirrors, affirming the reflections of myself. Windows are opportunities for me to see the world through a different perspective. Um, that would be us having a conversation and you sharing your life experiences with me because I grew up in Pennsylvania. You're from Baltimore. Yeah. So we have different life experiences yeah. and that's going to help us connect. But before we can do that, I also have to see you as a human. Yeah. I have to have unconditional acceptance of your humanity yeah. and then open myself up 
to respecting the fact that making space for the fact that your lived experience is different. We don't have to walk away from this meeting changing our lives, the way we live, or even agreeing with each other. But we need to make space for that. So it's a process with people because all of a sudden when they hear diversity training, they think of something that's punitive, right? Not something that really brings people together in a way that helps them to understand, wow, I didn't know that stuff happened. You know, I didn't know people experienced that. Um, I didn't know you needed to talk to your kids about those things. Um, So... The other piece of it is, is dealing again with bias, which has has a lot to, to do with it. Actually helping people to understand because bias is biological. Yeah. And we learn to be biased as soon as we come Very into the into Very this world, you know. And we start to make associations about people and things very early on in our life. But the the great thing about bias is that it's learned, and so it can be unlearned. And bias is really the danger, not more than racism in systems and structures, because we don't see it, you know? Um, So we have to learn, we have to unlearn those biases, and what we actually need to learn is a bias for inclusion. We have to teach ourselves how to do that, and it's thinking differently, because our brain uses two thinking systems. The one that's always on and is 90% of our brain activity is our subconscious. So when we meet someone new, we're relying on memory, on experience, on things that have been learned versus activating that 10% of our brain that's capable of conscious thought and saying, well, how can I challenge my first impression? If there's some reason that why I fear you, then what experience have I personally had to make me feel like I need to be scared of you? You know, so that's a very intentional process that happens over time. And so, you know, a training program or putting a few policies in place is not going to cut it, no. So for companies that are doing this really well, like what are they doing differently? So it's really interesting. The things I did at, at Bazudo, and Bazudo is known for their, their DEI yeah. work. For Bazudo, it, it is and it, and it was very much about company culture. Company culture has always been the thing that keeps, you know, so Bazudo's up at night. Is that you hear that a lot where it is part of the culture, it is something to really focus on. But I'm a very like practical person, so I'm like, from a practical perspective, like, how was Bazudo able to create that? I know you touched on it a little bit, but if I'm an owner or a CEO or VP listening to this, like, where do I start? How do I get going? Yeah. I can hire high, high, high off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you absolutely could. Yeah. I'll give you my card when we're yeah, done. Um, it's different for every single company. So one of the great things that Bazudo had going for them mm-hmm. was a great foundation, yeah. a great founder's story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tom Bazudo is, is the son of Italian immigrants. Um, 
he had experienced in his younger days when Italians were looked at much differently, um, a lot of racism. And, you know, he was always very progressive in his thinking and always wanted it to feel like family. Wanted it to feel like, you know, people could come into the organization, make a difference, and if you were a nice person, and you worked hard, and you did the right thing, always chose doing the right thing, then there was a home for you there. And so that founder's thinking, that founder's story has always underpinned the culture there. So it's very... Nothing is easy. What I'm going to say is easier to build on that foundation that that they worked so hard to protect. Even as the company grew, working to protect that was always at the center of their DNA. That's not the case for every organization. Um, Companies change ownership. They're publicly traded. They have other, you know, stakeholders that that have uh, an impact on how they make decisions. And they're all starting from different places. So when you say, well, how does a company get started? There's a discovery process that needs to happen. There's some things that are relatively prescriptive, right? We're going to look at your data. Yeah. We're going to look at, you know... And by the, data, I look at the makeup of the company. You look at the like diversity. Yeah, we look, we look at the diversity of the existing mm-hmm. workforce. But not just that, because that's kind of static. We want to see how people are moving around (laughs) by gender and ethnicity, by generation, um, why they're coming and going, if that data is available, how people are moving up in the organization. So we can look at like application flow, you know, from a certain point of, of saying people are qualified, you know, and we can look at that by gender and ethnicity and we can see, well, okay. How are people actually getting hired? What percentage of people are actually getting hired? And, you know, a lot of times what we see, especially right now, is that there's tremendous diversity at the lowest levels in the organization, like releasing professionals. Maintenance is almost entirely um, made up of men and, um, you know, African-American, Black, Latino. But... For me, if if your workforce is stratified, a lot of times there's a lot of diversity in property management. But it's like, you know, we talk about Chicago. Chicago is very ethnically segregated, right? It's it's stratified in sort of the same way. So all your women are on the office side of the building, and all your men are on the maintenance side of, of the workforce, and all your your um, underrepresented populations are in maintenance, and your your folks that are going to move into leadership roles because they're they're responsible for PL, so those re- people that are re- have PL responsibility are going to be the ones to move up into senior level positions. If they're all one type of person, that's really not diversity. Yeah. It is, but it's segregated. Yeah. You know, so you need diversity at every level of the organization, unstratified. Um, 
So we look at all of that. We look at, at how to make that happen. We look at the geographic locations that the company is operating in. So, you know, in Boston, there's, uh, it's very difficult to hire diverse candidates because of the, the population of people that's there compared to, say, Atlanta. So if I'm in a, if I'm operating in a minority majority location, I should have no issue having my workforce be representative of the communities that we serve. So we look at all that data and that's kind of how we get a lay of the land. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that in a lot of situations, business decisions are made based on the bottom line. So from a bottom line perspective, what is the economic uh, justification for diversity? I hate asking that, asking that question, but if I'm an owner, like, what is the ROI of diversity? Diversity of thought, diversity of representation, and all of that. Well, um, it, research has found that that companies that have more diversity, uh, that are diverse at every level of the organization, have an easier time attracting talent and less turnover. So first of all, um, if you look at the cost of people per square foot of your real estate, you will find that your people have the highest amount of overhead. There's the highest burden as it relates to people. You can take anything else that you invest in, your technology, your sustainability programs, your your, um, finance and accounting programs, and you can calculate that out by square foot of real estate and every time guaranteed you will find that people cost you the most so turnover can cost you know two times someone's salary when you think about the lost productivity the lower levels of engagement the um, the, the loss of knowledge, the time it takes to fill the position, the cost of advertising to fill that position. Um, so, like the morale of seeing members, like the exactly, exactly. So, turnout, all of that is very expensive. So, it makes sense to invest in people. Number one. Consumers, particularly today, are very interested in organizations that are socially responsible. And under the umbrella of social social responsibility is diversity and inclusion. When you look at the rental population, so the U.S. population is, you know, 18% Hispanic Latino, 14% African American Black, I think 5% Asian. The numbers are smaller for Alaska Native and and, um, and American Indian. Two or more races, it's we can't get a reading on that because there's not not everybody is a box for that. <laughs> so we're we're ruled by box. In this country, um, so you know that's the the makeup of the U.S. population. But the makeup of the U.S. rental population looks much different. Really? Yes. In what sense? Because because the num the percentage of of, of minority homeowners in this country is exponentially less. So if they don't own homes, then they're renting. 
So there's a big difference between having your workforce be representative of the U.S. population and having your workforce be representative of the, of the communities you serve. Totally different. It's actually inverted. So black and African Americans are the, have the highest percentage, or they're, they're the highest percentage of renters in the, in, in the country. And you might say, well, but you're not allowed to collect that information on someone's application, right? You're not. But the U.S. Census is collecting information on home ownership and where people live. So the data is out there. Uh, so that's very that's important. That's a very surprising fact to me. Like, it's obvious now that you've mentioned it, mm-hmm. but it's just not something that I would have thought about. Yeah. I had all this time assumed that the populations for renters and the U.S. population overall would be very much the same. No, they're not the same at all. They're not even close to the same. Um, so, you know, there, there's that to consider. Innovation is is exponentially better with diversity. So, what diversity does is it if if a company is leveraging the diversity they have in their organization they're going to leverage that to make decisions about products and services. Yeah. If I'm operating in, in South Florida and I don't understand what the uh, Caribbean and uh, Latino-Hispanic consumer yeah. wants in their in their home where they live, I'm at a disadvantage. Yeah. So how do I get that information? Yeah. How do I get that information inexpensively? Yeah. The best way to do that is to talk to employees who have similar ethnic backgrounds and have insight to understand culturally what the preferences are in a particular place. Wow. So the last question, besides the disparity between the rental population uh, in terms of diversity versus the U.S. overall, what other specific nuances are there in uh, diversity and inclusion in the multifamily or real estate industry that's different than what you find in other industries. So the real estate industry is is still very you know white male top heavy. Um, so and also Gen Y boomer generation. And and so there's a, a disconnect between what's happening at the very highest levels of an organization and really what's happening on the front line. And so when people, like I said, don't see people who look like them at higher levels in the organization, then they think that they don't have an opportunity to get there. You know? Which is really unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and in my discussions with, we do a lot of focus groups, we do a lot of surveying, Um, I always do stakeholder interviews when I'm starting to work with a client. So, we, we interview the senior executives to see how they're entering the conversation and most of them are either terrified of it or they 
just have never thought about it before. Yeah. Other than what's obviously it's all over the news, yeah. but really thinking about what is it like for someone who doesn't have the same privilege. Yeah. You know, opportunities in this country not just happen for some groups over others out of like coincidence Um, and it's not to say that people haven't worked hard for for what they have but you know systemically there have been advantages created for some in this country that haven't been present for others and even though things are changing have 400 years of history that we haven't talked about. We haven't redressed it. We haven't... You just can't wake up one morning and say, today we're going to be diverse, everything's going to be equitable, and we're going to be inclusive, you know? There's all this history that none of us ever learned in school. It's not in our history books. We like to tell success stories in this country that that we have to contend with. So, there's a great video that I like to show when I'm teaching. It's actually a commercial that was done by Canadian Tire. And it's a kid who, they're all playing basketball. Um, You know, it's a a group of kids, maybe they're eight or nine years old. And there's a little boy who lives in a house in the neighborhood and he's in a wheelchair. And he can't play basketball with everybody else. So one day, the little boy brings the basketball and sets it on the front stoop of the kid who's in the wheelchair. And the kid comes to the door, grabs the basketball, heads over to the basketball court. And lo and behold, these 10 or 11 kids have created apparatuses, whether it's buckets with wheels, carts, anything that they can have so that everybody can play. That's equity. Oftentimes, people are confused about the difference between equity and equality. You have to have equity before you can have equality. And so what that commercial did was a few things. Number one, it shows that anyone can be an inclusive leader, not just a leader of people. It's behavioral. Number two... You can be really creative in this process. Think about new ways of doing things, new ideas that make people better. You ask, what, what, what's the ROI? Well, when people are engaged, they work harder. They do better. Um, they give their ideas. They, they give that extra discretionary effort. So there's a creativity. And then the other thing is, and this is what's so hard about this work, is that in order to create equity, oftentimes the dominant group has to give something up in the process. Yeah, which is a challenge anywhere. People don't like to give things up. Yeah. They've worked hard for what they have. Yeah. The dominant group has to give something up in order to create an environment, create the conditions for those who have not had the same opportunities, and in many cases, not by their own design, to perform at their best. And so that's what this commercial does. It shows that those who were not on wheels, 
were really creative and they found a way to level the playing field so that everyone could play. Yeah. And you know what? They all had a great time doing it. So in the end, they didn't they didn't give anything up because they they were on the basketball court to have fun, and they still had fun. It just looked a little different. Yeah. Oh, awesome, Kristen. Yeah. This was super helpful. <laughs> so I really appreciate you being on. Sure. I'm Thank sure you. People listening in, I really learned a lot about how to really one drive complete engagement, make sure that everyone really feels inclusive in the workplace, mm-hmm. and that hopefully is giving some of those leaders mm-hmm. ideas for like where to start. Sure. So thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. It's great.